our text this morning. As we hear from the living God and His Word is Galatians chapter 6 and verses 6 to 10. Last week, we covered verses 1 to 5 of chapter 6, but I asked for the whole of 1 to 10 to be read, that we'd be reminded of the context. Our focus turns to verses 6 to 10. And this is what everything has been about, dear friends. So then, Paul concludes in verse 10, So then, Galatians, so then, you who have the hearing of faith, you who have the Spirit, you who are Abraham's offspring, Sarah's children, heirs according to the promise, so then, brothers and sisters, you who were called to freedom, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Or as the Greek more literally says, let us work the good for all as we have opportunity. Let us do good to everyone. Does it surprise you, this ending of Galatians? I realize, of course, that there remain for us verses 11 to 18 of chapter 6. And in fact, you'll be delighted to know that we'll have two more Sundays in Galatians (laughs) to finish those eight verses. But verse 10 is the end of Paul's argument. What remains, if if you look ahead there to verses 11 and following, is almost more of a a kind of postscript in a way. It's a wonderful postscript. It's full of summary thoughts and personal notes, and we'll see just how much there is there for us and helps us to look back at the book. And yet, it is all looking back at what this letter has said. Here's where we come to it. Verse 10, so then as we have opportunity. Let us work the good for everyone. My question is, does that surprise you? Does it surprise you how effortlessly Paul connects faith with doing good, working good, how seamlessly our apostle moves from trusting God in Christ to helping other people as we're granted occasion to do so. Now, of course, it it shouldn't really surprise us too much given what we've seen in recent weeks, right? If you've been here, if you you have the Bible there to look at these verses as I mentioned them, you'll you'll be interested to see it, I think. It's nothing new, Not, not exactly new. It's what Paul says matters in verse 6 of chapter 5. Faith working through love. It's freedom's intended end in chapter 5, verse 13. Through love serve one another, he says. 
it's the whole law fulfilled. In chapter 5, verse 14, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is, therefore, also to fulfill the law of Christ. From last week in chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens, Paul says. So maybe that's not quite it. Maybe we're not, in fact, surprised that this is where Paul brings us in conclusion, that he emphasizes working the good for all as the concluding statement of his argument in Galatians. (coughs) Maybe instead, what surprises us is that this is what Paul says in the conclusion of Galatians leads to eternal life. Does that surprise you? Look carefully at verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Literally, of doing the good. For in due season we will reap, says the apostle, if we do not give up. Now there's three parts to verse 9. And they're clearly marked by the placement of commas in the English sentence, so you can see them. Paul gives a command, or if you prefer, an exhortation. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Don't stop doing good. He then provides the reason why that command is so important. He grounds it in the next phrase. For, he says, in due season we will reap. And then within that reason why the command to not grow weary of doing good is so important comes then the condition that reinforces that command. If, Paul says, we do not give up, we will reap if we do not give up doing good. The goal is that we reap. And thus, we can infer, can't we? Both from the command at the beginning of that verse and the condition at the end of it that Paul holds out for the Galatians and holds out for us that there is a way to not reap. And that would be to give up. That would be to grow weary of doing the good. Or if you like, and if you've been here, and if you have followed the argument of Galatians, here's the key link. That would be to stop walking by the Spirit. That would be, we know now clearly from last week, to stop living by faith. I don't know if that ending surprises you. But look, Galatians has been an intense letter, has it not? I mean, I've tried to preach it in a way that stays there with the rhetorical pulse of the apostle and even the language of the entire epistle aside, Paul explicitly says in the book that he's astonished. Chapter 1, verse 6. That he's perplexed. Chapter 4, verse 20. 
that he's in the anguish of childbirth. He wants Christ formed in the Galatians. Chapter 4, verse 19, he says that he's afraid. Chapter 4, verse 11, he's afraid that he may have labored over them in vain. Here's what that would mean. Here's what it would look like for Paul's labor to have been in vain. It would look like the Galatians not working the good for one another. Not bearing one another's burdens. Not loving one another. And therefore not fulfilling the law. Do you see... Here's the great point of the letter that for months and months we've labored to uncover. That they, that is the Galatians, that they thought that they would be keeping the law by being circumcised. That's what those agitators from Jerusalem came saying. And they are from Jerusalem, right? They should know. And you remember the early days of the book where after defending his gospel and establishing the good relationship that he had with the other apostles in Jerusalem, the bulk of his concern in chapters 1 and 2, then Paul says to them as he moves into chapter 3, No, Galatians, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You are Christ's. You live by the Spirit, would you be like Israel? Would you be hard-hearted? Would you be the stiff-necked people of God? Of what use is circumcision when your hearts are far from the Lord? When faith working through love doesn't characterize your life in the body of Christ. You Galatians, you stand, you stand willing to, you're ready to, to close the front door to your being Gentile sinners by being circumcised. All the while opening the back door to every kind of internal strife that evidently was boiling up in measures because of the teaching of these Jerusalem agitators and the divisions it was causing within the church community. No, Paul says. Real righteousness. The righteousness for which Christ died. Chapter 2, verse 21. The righteousness for which Christ died. The righteousness required if we are to be delivered from this present evil age. Chapter 1, verse 4. Real righteousness means living in love. means serving one another rather than biting one another. means bearing one another's burdens rather than provoking one another. means living by the power of the Spirit so as not to carry out the desire of the flesh. means evidencing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, goodness, gentleness, patience, kindness, because verse 9 of our passage connects directly to verse 8. So look there again now. We're just working our way backwards in the text this morning. Started at 10, talked about 9, now 8. Listen to verse 8. 
For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, it's a very simple observation, but you must see it. You must note that the reaping at the end of that verse 8 is the same as the reaping that will happen in due season if we do not give up in verse 9. And what is it that we reap according to verse 8? We reap eternal life, brothers and sisters. Salvation. Life eternal that comes from the Spirit himself because life only comes by the Spirit. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life, Paul says. It's all just the application of that basic parable that's articulated in verse 7, right, of our text. The truism, essentially, that says, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. It's simple to understand once you see the basic point. You sow in this life. You reap in the next one. In fact, it's almost alarmingly simple, isn't it? That there are two fundamental options for how your life is oriented. We've seen this several times already. Either to the flesh or to the spirit. Depending on which it is. You then either sow to your own flesh or you sow to the Spirit. These are the two kinds of soil into which you put the seed of your life and from which you reap the harvest that comes. And to live out of selfish ambition, to give way to outbursts of rage, to sow discord, to provoke hostility, to give way to indulgence sexually or excesses like drunkenness or any of these things. This is to sow unto one's own flesh, Paul says. It is to give way to behavior that's just like that of those who do not belong to Christ. But to perform service for one another. To restore the fallen with gentleness. To bear the burdens of one another. To to properly estimate your own worth before the Lord. To bear with those who are hostile, slow to come along. This, Paul says, this is to sow unto the Spirit. This is to walk by the Spirit. This is to conform one's behavior to the Spirit by whom you now live. You live the first way, you reap corruption. You face destruction. You live the second way, you reap eternal life. And even that isn't new, right? We've seen it. Paul said this, just not quite in so clear a way. We saw, if you're still looking here, in chapter 5, verse 5, we saw that Paul says, through the Spirit by faith, remember the connection there, the life of faith and life walking by the Spirit. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. 
i.e. eternal life, the anticipated end when you live, when, when one lives by faith through the Spirit, you manifest the fruit of the Spirit. There's real righteousness on display even as you wait for the hope of the fullness of that righteousness eternally. You will always be living by the Spirit. Eternally living by the Spirit. In contrast, we saw in chapter 5, verse 21, that those who do such things, Paul says, that is, those who practice works of the flesh, such as those listed in verses 19 to 22, he says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, the outcome is determined by whether one is living from the flesh or by the Spirit. So let me say it as clearly as I can. That those who would persist in living on the basis of the flesh have by that very fact opted out of the life of the Spirit. It can be no clearer on this point than it gets in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, you you turn there, I don't have the page numbers, it's to the right of Galatians. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, if you want to go there to see it, I'm going to read a bit. 1 John 3 verse 4, the end of verse 4 says, Sin is lawlessness. Boy, let that statement ring in light of Galatians now, right? Sin is lawlessness. Don't want to be without the law. You know that he, that is Jesus, appeared, John writes, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Ready? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not Love his brother. Do not be deceived, Paul says. God is not mocked. Do you know what I think Paul means by that? I think he means something like this. Don't slip into thinking, Christian, that your actions don't matter. Don't slip into thinking that your actions don't matter. Because the day of judgment will be one of testing claims. And on that day, 
the validity of our claims to be admitted to the kingdom of God will be weighed in the balances not of our talk, not in our verbal orthodoxy, and how we need to hear that, both in terms of how we think of ourselves and how we think of others. According to Paul, the validity of our claims will be weighted on the balances of our love, brothers and sisters. Because God is love. And either we've walked by God's Spirit or we haven't. Either we've exhibited the righteousness of God in our lives or we haven't. And I'm talking to you as Christians. This letter was addressed to Galatian Christians. Galatians isn't fundamentally about how you become a Christian. Galatians is about how you live as a Christian. How you live as a follower of Jesus. And it seems that here again, Paul and Jesus are saying the same thing. You know this passage from Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and following. I'll read it. Matthew 25, Beginning in verse 31, Jesus himself speaking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, Jesus says, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people, one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world, for here's why you inherit it. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Do you not know, Paul says, in Romans 6, verse 16, Romans 6, verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness, and then verse 22 of that great chapter, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit you get, 
leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. Here's the verse everyone knows. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're at the heart of it. Do not be deceived, dear friends. If you live according to the flesh, you will die, Paul says in Romans 8, verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, he says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. That's Galatians. Romans 8, verse 13. Best commentary on Galatians is Romans. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. This has to be the emphasis. This has to be the warning, both the warning and the promise together, that Paul desires for the Galatians to hear. And so it is what I want us to hear as loudly and as clearly as I can as we approach the end of this book. If we stop sowing to the Spirit and sow instead to our own flesh, we will not reap eternal life. Because the wages of sin is death. Remember that this text, like all of Galatians, is addressed to the church. What's at stake is eternal life. Paul says, let us not grow weary. Not, let's start doing it. Keep doing it. Let us not grow weary. As I see it, friends, this is my number one task as a pastor who has responsibility over you, over a flock, to spur you on, to encourage you, to exhort you, to challenge you, to comfort you, all so that you may not grow weary, dear friends. And the primary means, not the only means, but the primary means I have to do that is right here, is through preaching. And so you sense it week by week. I actually believe eternity hangs in the balance in moments like this. That we listen to the Lord and the Spirit is at work and our hearts react to the word that's read and prayed and enacted and preached Sunday by Sunday. I'm not here to give you entertaining stories. You say, no kidding, you never tell any. Or <laughs> religious-sounding self-help advice. I'm here that you may not grow weary, brothers and sisters. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You know these verses. You've heard them read a lot. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Why do you want to do that? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another. What's the context? And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Those are the verses we all know. Do you know what verse comes next? Verse 26 of Hebrews 10. What's the reason why you stir up love and good works and you don't fail to meet together and you encourage one another as you see the day drawing near? For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Oh. Stir one another up to love and good works. That is the explicit reason Hebrews says we not neglect to meet together, that we encourage one another. All of which is maybe why verse 6 of Galatians 6 says what it does. So, look there again. I've worked our way back from 10 to 9 to 8 to 7. Here's 6. What do you think of this? In closing now, listen to verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, you want an interpretive challenge. Here's one. Why is verse 6 there? Right? Because it just seems like Paul sort of drops it in. There's some translations that make just verse 6 its own paragraph. Maybe yours does. Because they don't know where to put it. The commentators are almost universally agreed it has to do in its own verse with encouraging the Galatians to financially support the teachers of the word. This is an example of Paul using very relational language when his point is about money. Right? He does that in more than one place. And this, almost surely, it's another example of that. And it's an example, therefore, of bearing one another's burdens for this to happen. So it fits in that way in, in with the beginning of chapter 6. But how does it relate to verses 7 to 10 that we've just considered? The rest of the paragraph. The ESV puts it with that paragraph. Well, I wonder if the point isn't this. That it may be, or I think rather likely will be, it likely will be the teaching of the word that the Spirit will use in our lives to keep us from growing weary. Do you think that's possible? I mean, it's an incredible thought, isn't it? That to do what verse 6 commands, that to share all good things with the one who teaches, it isn't only to bear the burden in one specific and important way for those who teach. It's actually to support the very thing that will enable you to not grow weary. And what could be more important than that, dear friends? So here's a practical application, if, if ever there is one. Are you doing? what verse 6 says. I don't mean, is the church paying me for what I do? You are. I thank you for that. I mean, the question comes to you at an individual level. Do you value 
the teaching ministry of this church you've decided to attend. You know I'm convinced it's got to be number one, it's got to stay number one at Christ the King. But the question here for you, brother, sister, is this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. What about in this matter of supporting the ministry here? What are you sowing? I don't mean a specific dollar figure. I I mean, where is your heart in all of this? Does your giving reflect that? And again, the specific amount doesn't matter. I have no idea what anyone in this room gives, which is exactly as it should be. Numbers on a page do not necessarily reveal the heart. But God knows all of it. And what's at stake in your attitude to the teaching of God's word and the use of your goods is nothing less, Paul argues, than eternal life. Because this is what everything has been about, dear friends. So then, Galatians, so then, brothers and sisters at Christ the King Anglican Church, you who have the hearing of faith, you who have the Spirit, you who are Abraham's offspring, Sarah's children, heirs according to the promise, you who were called to freedom, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Do the good. The fruit of the Spirit. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.